Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guy Show. Welcome to the Wellness Guy Show. I'm Lawrence Tam. Dr. Tam. I'm Damien Krista. And I'm Brett Hill. Did you say Dr. Tam? No. I thought you said Dr. Tam. Not at all. All right. <laughs> well, we're all confused right now because yeah. where are we, guys? We're at the Wellness Summit. The at Wellness the summit. summit. 2015 Wellness Summit, everybody. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> so let me ask you, have you guys had a great day today so far? So guys, we are really excited. It's been a fantastic day. We have actually had a bigger venue and bigger audience since the last couple of years. It's really, I think, 695 people at last count. Uh, the Wellness Summit has been a fantastic summer. Really, really excited. But today, what we're going to focus on is answering some of the delegates' questions. So I'm going to pass it off to Marcus, and uh, he's going to start off by asking the first question. All right. Welcome to Stephen Anderson, who's here. I think your second summit, Stephen? Third summit. Uh, Stephen wants to ask Damo a question about cooking in water. Stephen. Well, Damo, you told us this morning that we couldn't use coconut oil for cooking, so, and we should use water. How do I cook my bacon in water? <laughs> very good, very good. Well, this is what you do. You turn the gas on, and you, or the electricity, you get your pan nice and warm, put a tiny little bit of water on there, and put the bacon on top so it doesn't stick, and you're good to go. But the fat will come out of the bacon and it will lubricate the pan and there's nothing to worry about. So you don't need to add oil to cooking your bacon. The bacon produces enough oil as it is. Simple. But the water stops things from sticking. Done. Done. Is that all right? Yep. Um, Steph, does Steph, does Steph being the other foodie up there, the natural nutritionist, Steph, do you want to add to that? What was that, sorry? Do you want to add to that question at all? Oh, no, I think Damo's answered that perfectly. Yep. Okay, Alex, where's Alex? Hello, Alex. Um, Alex would like to ask a question of Kim. Hi there. Hello. Um, so when you were talking... <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Echo. Um, so my question's around the essential oils that you were discussing today. Um, I don't have a sense of smell, which sucks. Um, so I just wanted to know, would I still get a benefit from using essential oils, because I know it goes through the scent of smell and 
everything like that. Great question in the sense that aromatherapy works in two ways. Mm -hmm. So one is through our sense of smell, where the molecules travel up the olfactory system, hit the limbic part of the brain, register via the central nervous system, and we have a reaction within three to four seconds. Mm -hmm. The other way is on the skin. So when it's absorbed via the hair follicle, essential oils are one of the few things that penetrate directly into the cell. So you can use it in one of two ways. Just because you can't smell it, your nose still has those molecules travelling up the olfactory system. So yes, it will still have an effect, not as potent as somebody that has a sense of smell, but the other way to use them is on the skin. So I would be using it in a multitude of ways, spritzing, bathing, inhalations, vaporisers, and definitely massage if I didn't have a sense of smell. Awesome, thank you. Marcus. All right, now, Marcus. There's, there's another guy who wants to actually add more. I just want to talk. Um, so, before when we, heard, we saw Kim talking about the, the vibration or the megahertz, there's a vibrational principle as well. So, even just burning it, the vibration that that sends off, like in homeopathy or, you know, Reiki, um, chiropractic has this same effect. The oils will have that effect, even though you can't smell it, because it's vibrational. So, that's two. Three ways. Uh, Victoria, where's Victoria? Oh, okay, all right. Um, first of all, I'm not an alcoholic, but I do like a beer or a wine each night. I have a stressful job. Yeah. Um, have you got any strategies for drinking less alcohol? And if you don't, what would be a safe amount, realistically, that you should drink, if you should drink? Who, who's that for? Shall I? Yeah, you go. <laughs> It's a very common question, actually, in terms of a portion control. Um, it is an individual N equals one, as always, but it's about having what we call AFDs. So how many AFDs, alcohol-free days, do you have in the week so that you can give your body a break? And if you can tolerate maybe two on a Friday night and you're, you're not waking up with any sort of negative symptoms and you're overall healthy and well, then that might work for you. But you are going to have to have, a, you know, at least five AFDs over time and just see how the body responds to that. You can test your liver enzymes if you want to go a little bit deeper into your blood work and just have a look at how your liver is processing that alcohol. Nice one. Anyone want to add to that? Well, I also want to kind of look at the why. Like, because you kind of, you, you, it's interesting you asked the question and then you followed up with a, almost like a backup plan question. Do you know what I mean? So it's almost like asking, like, why do you actually want to lower it in the first place, right? And also the other question is, why do you want to, like, what does it do if you did drink? Like, why? What, how does it affect you in your personal life, relationship? You know, what's going on, not just bodily, you know, function, but also, like, the people you're with. Because some people drink because they want to make sure they fit in, right? But some people drink because they actually love the taste of alcohol. But there's different reasons why. So how you lower that, I think it depends on that why. Does that make sense? Because the why drives your decision on what you choose from here on in. Damo. There was also a, a part of that question where you said, what's a healthy amount? I think you, uh, that's how I interpreted the question, at least anyway. There's actually probably no healthy amount of alcohol. Alcohol is probably of no benefit at all to the human body, apart from um, it's a, soci a social lubricant. Hey, social lubricant, right? <laughs> so being a social lubricant means you get a bit of Dutch courage and you can talk to more people. That might improve relations or it might actually improve, you know, your confidence. So that could be something great. But 
you know, the negative effects of alcohol are significant, um, whether it be on the brain, whether it be on, on, on the liver, whether it be on any other cell within the body, the effects are significant. So there's no healthy amount of alcohol that you could prescribe. You know, you look at the red wine industry and they say there's oligomeric proanthocyanidins in the red wine and you go, okay, well, that's good. So I've got some APCs. It's going to be great for antioxidant activity. I can validate drinking some wine, but you could get that from some grape juice. You don't have to do that that way. So there's no healthy, safe amount. If you want to have a glass of wine, like Steph said, make sure you've got five AFDs in between. That's the key. And that's why the why is so important, right? Because if, if the reason why is because for social lubricant, then you ask the question is, is there any other ways that I can actually get that without drinking alcohol? Because if, if there is, then you can say, do I want to choose that? If you do, then the alcohol almost is eliminated in that sense. But that's only if that's the why. So there's the why and then all the things around and surrounding it, if you can find other ways to fulfill that why other than alcohol. Can I just maybe ask you guys, because I know everyone here would be interested, could everyone share what their um, alcohol, like, yeah, what, how, what role does alcohol play in your life? Do you drink? If you do, how much? How often? <laughs> everyone would like to know the answers, right? Um, I don't drink at all. I, I gave up alcohol probably six, 14, 14 years ago, and I've never touched an alcohol, drop of alcohol ever since. Except for the kombucha that he had the other day, it had 2%, right? So, you know, so. Um, I have alcohol um, usually in a social situation. So I might hang out with some mates um, and I'll have a glass of wine. Um, I might have a G&T. <laughs> when I went to Karen's house, she gave me a glass of wine that was that big. It was like a fish pond, so, uh, and which she swims in. But uh, <laughs> no, I have it very, very occasionally. I, I, definitely, no, I definitely wouldn't have alcohol every single week. Um, and if I do have alcohol, it's very, very occasionally. I'm the same. I would rarely have it. <laughs> no, I am joking. <laughs> I don't drink much at all. If I do drink, it's just a little, like a shot of something fabulous, like a Cointreau on ice or something. But I might have that maybe once every six or seven months, at best, at best. I want to keep what's going on between my two ears really clear. So I don't, I don't go there. Um, I drink very little and very, very rarely. So I might have one drink maybe once a year. Wow. Um, I certainly drink a lot less now than I did in my 20s. <laughs> um, I would say maybe one glass of red wine a couple of times a month, usually with dinner, just as um, something to enjoy. And it's certainly not a huge part of my life anymore. I figure it's fermented. <laughs> you sound like my mum. <laughs> oh, I'll be your mum. <laughs> um, look, occasionally, I'm such a lightweight. It's, I'm the cheapest drunk out there, so I'm not very good with drinking. But my daughter even turned around to me yesterday and she goes, you know what, I saw a thing on Facebook the other day. It said, what, what's wrong with being a lightweight? It means you've got money for food and the taxi home afterwards. So... <laughs> I'm not a big drinker, but I do enjoy a shot of whiskey every now and again. And champagne. <laughs> and champagne, she said. Um, as a Gen Y, this has sort of been a little bit of a, um, a prevalent issue in my life, but I was sort of the odd one out. I actually didn't drink that much throughout school, never did the partying thing. So um, never liked beer, don't like red wine, don't like champagne, just don't really drink. So if I do, it'll be like once or twice a year and I'll have some port because I like port. 
Oh, that was a bad yeah, one. about that. Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I don't do it once or twice a year. Thanks for sharing, folks. I might say, just because I forgot to say earlier, if you have a question, because I asked for deadline on questions earlier, if you have a question for Kale or Lawrence, um, shoot up to Jamie, who's at the desk at the back, because we can still fit a couple of questions in if you have, a que if you have any other questions, uh, just drop them to Jamie, and if we have time, we will get them on. Alrighty, this is for Jeanette. Where's Jeanette? Here you go, Jeanette. Oh, sorry, actually, I skipped the queue. Sorry. Over to Cathy. Oh, hi. I'm not sure who this is for, but um, how do you cope with tight muscle muscles and uh, pain, um, for example, in the calves or the neck? Yeah, um, I'm going to answer this one because I think calf pain is something I know a bit about. <laughs> when, uh, when I was learning how to do barefoot running, um, I thought this sounded good. It seemed like a good idea. So I put on some, uh, I think my first pair of barefoot shoes I had was a pair of Dunlop volleys because I thought well, maybe they'll just do. And I went for a 10k run through the Adelaide Hills. And uh, it turns out that wasn't a very good idea. Um, barefoot running put a fair bit of stress on my calves. Um, and so that's why I always tell people to, to work into it gradually. And that's what we do in our workshops. But uh, I know Kim had a similar experience. The first time she tried to do barefoot running, I got this text saying, what have you done to me? Um, so in, in terms of how to deal with that, um, you know, this, the first thing is, as I said, is ease into it. You know, ease your way into it. Don't, don't try and do too much too soon. Give your body a chance to get used to that and to prepare for that. Um, the second thing I would say is make sure you keep your body really well hydrated. That's really important for the cells and tissues in your body. Um, the third thing I would say is make sure you're getting lots of magnesium in your diet. So lots of leafy green vegetables, um, lots of nuts and seeds and those sort of things. Get that magnesium into your diet because that's going to really help with the relaxation of those muscles and help them recover afterwards as well. Um, as some of the guys have said during the day, get a great chiropractor. You know, make sure everything is aligned properly. That's going to put a lot less stress on the structures. And it's going to make sure that the nervous system supplying those muscles means that they're getting the right messages. So it's going to give them a better chance to heal as well. So there's probably a few things that are going to start to help. I'm sure there are other people up here who are going to contribute to that one as well. Anyone else like to add? I just said oxytocin helps. Oxytocin. <laughs> it's such Not. a tart. <laughs> Someone said they haven't heard that word today. That's the first That's time, the first I think. That's the first time. Wow. <laughs> um, all right, now, Jeanette has a question for Damien. Sorry, but I've not watched any of the wellness um, pods yet, but I will in future. Um, Damien, you said about not cooking with coconut oil. Yes. Does that include baking? And I've been very big on frying with coconut oil, so what should I do with the three kilos of coconut oil that I've purchased? <laughs> Oxytocin, rub it in here. <laughs> It's, it's a great question because I also have a massive tub of uh, coconut oil at my house, which I now use a lot less of um, since I read that research. You can bake with it, depending on the quality of the, of the coconut oil, and the, the least manufactured or the least processed the coconut oil it is, the, um, the, the lower the smoke point. So the better the coconut oil is for you, the quicker it burns. So the more highly refined it is, the higher it burns. So it's about 170 to 185. So if you can keep your baking below 170, then you can cook with it in baking. But if you're going to bake above 180, or up to 180, then you risk, the, you know, you risk it burning. So that's not ideal. 
Um, you can still use the coconut oil for oil pulling, for example. That's, you know, you've got three kilograms worth of oil pulling. Um, but you could also, there's no reason why you couldn't add it into some of the other cooking. It doesn't actually have to be cooked. It just needs to be warmed. So if you just warm it up, it could actually, you know, part of many of your other drinks. You could have your bulletproof coffee, for example. Or you, there's other ways in which you can do it. You just don't need to, like, burn it to death. Mm. <laughs> and... Kim thinks you could use it as a lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our next question is from Katrina. Um, I'm just interested in anyone's thoughts on feeling a bit like you're cheating on wellness if you do take any doctor's advice for different, different conditions and is there a place for both? Go for it. Yeah, absolutely there's a place for both. Um, so I often talk about this and I say, you know, medical care has a time and a place. You know, it's crisis care. You know, if I was to walk out the front here, heaven forbid, not wanting to make this happen, but if I was to walk out the front here and get hit by a bus, right, then I would want to go to the hospital. And they would probably save my life. And I would be forever grateful. Right? They're awesome at that. When it comes to crisis, when it comes to emergency care, they're brilliant at it. So if you get to the stage where you're in that crisis, you know, I often say to people that come into my practice, I say, if I was halfway through having a heart attack, I wouldn't go to my local chiropractor. Right? I'd go to the emergency department. Right? And so... There's a time and a place for it, and it's important to understand that. But it's also important to understand what it is. Right? Is it, It's crisis care. So once you're out of that crisis, if you want to get back to wellness, then you don't keep using crisis care over and over again, expecting to get a different result. You need to then do something different to get yourself back into wellness. So I think it's fine. There's a time and a place for it, and if you're in that position, then use it. Right? But then once you've done that, figure out what you can do so that you don't end up in that position again. Make sense? Can, can I just add? Yep. Yeah, love that. Um, there's, there's, you, there'll be times when an infection gets your body. There won't be, there won't will be times, but there may be times when an infection or something that's hugely significant that threatens your life. It doesn't have to be a car or a bus or a truck, you know. I tell a funny joke about that, but I might not do that today. Um, it's a bit polarizing. But uh, it could be something that's, you know, significant. It may require medication because to keep you alive and to keep you functioning, to keep you well, it requires some kind of pharmaceutical intervention. And it's at that point that I think that it's really good. Um, for the prevention of lifestyle diseases and for chronic disease, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, the prevention of that sort of stuff, I think that we can live a really well life to avoid all those sorts of things. Um, however, if you're faced with that, uh, you can use both things very well together. And there is absolutely a role for pharmaceutical intervention um, where it keeps you alive. Um, I don't like to use it to attack stuff. I like to, you know, nourish the body and to keep it really well. So if you're going to use it to attack, think twice. Same thing with two years ago. Um, I did this. I actually presented with this story. Um, happened. I think I was playing softball or baseball, and I slid and I created a cut on my on my knees. And uh, you know, I said, you know what? It's going to heal. I just got to wash it off, and it'll heal. And I think it was about a, um, a week week later. It just was getting redder and redder, and I was like, oh, no, it's fine. My wife's like, oh, you, 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 I think that you need to look at that. I'm like, no, nah, it's fine. My body will heal it. And then I, took, I go, you know what? Oh, maybe I should take a picture. It was like 10 o'clock at nighttime. I took a picture, and I go, Damien, uh, what do you think? And he goes, text back, dude, go to the hospital. <laughs> and I went to the hospital, and it was a massive infection um, that was like, coming up right in my leg. And you know, I was in the hospital for you know, definitely a few hours, and I had to go back because like, they couldn't figure out what it was. And I had to go back two or three times. And uh, so, you know, there are circumstances you definitely need them, and that's what they're there for. It's, it was a bug. It's a bug that actually only affects Canadians, and so he definitely had to go there. Right? So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Our next question is for Kale. I'm sure Damo would like to add to this as well. Mel. Uh, hi, Kale. Um, I was just wondering what recommendations you have for fixing the microbiome imbalance in babies and young children once the damage is done due to the mother's imbalance. Uh, yep. Um, I'll also add to the last question first because this sort of leads in there. I think we can expect to see a lot more um, of an integrative approach with the um, Western style of medicine because a lot of the stuff on the microbiome is coming out in the scientific journals now and it can't be ignored for that much longer. In terms of that, um, what you can do is take... There's a couple of things you can do. So you can do a modified sort of program and um, just do little micro doses of bacteria for the child and you just want to be a little bit specific about what strains of bacteria. So you want to do a lot of Lactobacillus acidophilus, but keep in mind that there are about 50 or 60 substrains of Lactobacillus acidophilus, so um, you don't want to just go and sort of pick a random one. But what you can do is take small amounts of that, dip your finger in it, and let little baby suck it off. And then once you've sort of done that for a while, you can do it with things like kefir and sauerkraut juice and things like that as well. Just finger in and let them suck. Um, and obviously following sensible dietary stuff or if you're breastfeeding, that should help as well. Yeah, just a little bit more. Um, that's, so that's absolutely spot on. And it is really important to look at the strains. So there'll be people out here that um, give their children probiotics, and this may not be you know, specific to your situation, but give your kids adult strain probiotics, and you could be doing more damage than good there, right? So you've actually got to use infant strains, which are very, very important. And if the baby is still very, very young and little and not eating solid food, then the strain of bacteria that they need to be getting is something that will be cultured on breast milk, um, or, you know, or, which is probably about the only other way that we can get those sorts of bacteria um, into our baby. So you can get cultured breast milk probiotics now, and, um, and they can be hugely beneficial. Very pricey because it's hard to farm breast milk, but um, it's, it's just a bit difficult these days. Um, but um, since the 70s, and, uh, and so... But yeah, it, you can get that stuff, and it's really, really good for the baby. Uh, Bifidobacterium lactis as well. That's the one you want. Yeah. Just to add to that, we've got Gemma here who wants to develop that question. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, if you've had a lot of antibiotics as a child and taken the pill, is it possible to get your microbiome back? Um, I, this, I can speak from personal experience here, because when I was about 16, I went on a, or 15, I went on an antibiotic cycle for like a year, pretty much on and off because I had an infection in my toe from a sea ulcer and I wouldn't stop surfing so that it kept getting worse and worse. Um, anyway, from that, I, I did a lot of damage, I'm sure. Um, but I do th I'm not going to say there's like no hope, but I think that once you do take the antibiotic route, then you sort of need to go through a bit of a specific process to, to rebalance. And I don't think that the answer to that is... I'm going to have like a bunch of kimchi and kombucha. It's like you've got to take some time to actually repair the damage done because antibiotics, they've actually shown that they do um, irrevocable damage up to about three years, sometimes permanently as well. So don't expect this to be a really quick sort of fix. It's actually you've got to go probably on a low-sugar diet, pretty strict paleo sort of stuff. You don't have to go heavy on the meat, but do that for... A, probably three years to really come back into balance. I think eventually you can. I would also look at taking some really good quality bovine colostrum as well. And um, what other herbs would you say? Slippery elm, aloe vera? Yep, they're all good. Yeah. They're all good. Uh, I just keep in mind too that it's, I mean, as your, your bacteria transitions, because it always transitions through your life, 
um, and it will always be changing based on your environment. So why can um, I go to Bali and get a gastrointestinal infection, but Lawrence can't? One is would be, he would go there more often than I do, and so he's got um, a lot more of Bali bacteria in his body. And because I'm Asian and, yeah, you know, right? There's no need to get racial about it, you know. So, you know, so, but, it, you know, so the bacteria is always going to change. It's always going to be um, evolving. And it's your bacteria that determine the other bacteria that grow in there. So you need to kind of step it through. So if you only took, um, let's say, I'm just going to say a brand name because we're all familiar with it. If you only took Inner Health Plus, if that's the only one you took, you'd only grow those bugs and then what other bugs those bugs would let grow. But if you grow other bugs and take other different types of bacteria, and that's why I would say that any probiotic on the market, regardless of how many billion strains or you know, microorganisms are in there, they all have some kind of value. They've all been found inside the body or on food. And so you can do all of those strains cycling over and over and over again over three or four years. But the kimchi, the sauerkraut, the kombucha, all the fermented foods, that's where you're going to continue to nourish it and grow other populations of bacteria that we probably don't even know what they are yet, but it, you know, it's going to take three or four years. At I'll least. also add to that that there are some bacteria called segmented filamentous bacteria that attach to your pace patches. They're those dome-like receptors in between the villi of your small intestine. So when you're born, they actually go in and they sort of train the immune system to accept the bacteria that comes from mum. It's sort of like them going in and saying, hey, look, just so you know, this bacteria coming in, that's that the bacteria that we need for the rest of our life because it comes from mum. So you putting in bacteria, you wiping out your microbiome and starting again, defaulting back to that template that the body knows is right. If you can't really mimic that again, that's when you start to get some issues. So that's why I say that it takes some time to work out what works best and also just to heal and sort of come back into balance that way. Good work. All right, productivity question from Nathan. Yeah, I'm interested to hear from anyone who would like to share about any um, morning or evening routines people might have. Ocean. I, I, I mean, seriously, ocean. I, I like a cold, cold dip or just getting in the ocean. I mean, in terms of earthing and um, grounding, but also like the therapeutic effect of the salt and the ions in the, in the water, because salt's highly conductive. I find that's the best thing, and I've found it for a lot of people as well. I'm going to pass this away now. I didn't like the ocean, but I do now. <laughs> no, I do. Same thing, earthing, getting outside. First thing I do is put my feet on the ground. Second thing I do is light a vaporizer. The rule in our house, whoever gets up first gets to light the vaporizer. Then I do a wad, a workout of the day, usually in my bedroom. And if my husband's home, he could be included. So um, <laughs> keep it G, keep it G rated, please. Keep nothing G -rated. like a dawn breaker is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> And then I do my body boost ritual after the shower, and sometimes together too. Anyway. G-rated podcast, please. So your question was on productivity. How do you start your day? What's your morning ritual? Yeah. I mean, a ritual for me when it's it, always movement first and then a meal. But I think from a, a ritual point of view when it comes to linking a, a lifestyle in with work can be certainly looking at that morning schedule. So... We have um, a calm inbox, so we only answer emails twice a day, and that can really help with productivity. And certainly, if you start your day and just get stuck in emails, then you know, you, you're obviously not going to get anything else done. Um, and another little tip is that you might like to try and do the, the creative tasks first. So emails can perhaps wait till the end of the day, so while you can be more productive in the morning do the jobs that might involve like writing or, or being creative that you might end up sort of, 
I guess, dropping off the list if you're too caught up in that busyness of, of nine to five? Um, I think I'm probably the least likely person to ask about productivity in the morning. Um, my, my morning routine is like sleep in for as long as I can and then make sure I get at least 10 minutes in the shower, then I'm good to go. I can beat that. 20 minutes easy. <laughs> so for me, um, the most productive times statistically is between 6am and 11am for most people. And that's also the time when we're more, most likely from a mental perspective to enter into a state of flow. And when we're in flow, we're able to be creative. So diving straight into emails, which I'm guilty of doing, but diving sometimes straight into emails takes you out of flow. It spits you out of flow where you're not able to get into that creative space. You go straight into a thinking space. And when you're in a thinking space, it takes a little bit of work to go from thinking to creating. So it just depends on what your priorities are for that day. You know, if there are days that you've got to do bookkeeping or if there's days that you actually need your brain turned on from the very beginning, then... That's just what it needs to be. But there are days where you can be in creativity and that's when you want to make sure that you understand the necessity of being in flow. And thinking does not occur when you're in flow. Thinking spits you out of flow. And sometimes for me, personally, when I wake up, I am in flow right there. So if I go and run or if I go and do yoga or if I go and do exercise, it spits me out of flow. So I'll take advantage of the times when flow is present because you can feel it, right? So I'll take advantage of the time when flow is present and that's when I'll create. And then I'll go and do exercise or whatever it is, I'll go and do that afterwards. Yeah, I just listen to myself and I respond to whatever's there on the day. I actually am really not very productive um, and I have no routine. <laughs> my name's Damien. <laughs> uh, my routine starts uh, usually about five or six was when I get up. Then I go to the CrossFit for 5.30, 6.30, come back, and then I got to deal with the kids. So getting breakfast and all that stuff, eat uh, forage, breakfast. I want my decisions to be very, very simple. So every day is pretty much forage, every day. Just so I don't have to think about wasting time to think, oh, what am I going to have for breakfast this morning? So it's forage, 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 seven days a week. Thanks, man. And uh, you're welcome. Just plug forage, forage. Um, so that's, the breakfast is out of the way. Once the kids go to school, that's when I kind of follow what Steph and Karen said. It's the same thing. It's about getting into flow as soon as possible. My pro most productive time is in the, between um, sort of 8.30 to 12. And my after, so therefore I recognize that. So what I do is that I've actually scheduled my five days into themes. So every day is a different theme. So Monday is Momentum Monday, so that's when I actually focus on my projects, my creativity on my projects. Talk, uh, it's Talk Tuesday for me, so that's when I talk to my clients. You know, on Wednesday is Wealth Wednesday, that's when I focus on the business to create wealth in my business, and so on and so forth. So Monday, and start off of every day though, it's, I actually start seven minutes, visualization. That's what I do, just to kind of get clear focus, and then straight on to the one thing, the one project that I need to do that will eliminate everything else in my life or make everything else simpler and easier not checking Facebook or not checking emails. And that's what I've done. And that's sort of that. And it just creates from there. So then I block off 35 minutes on a timer. And I just 30, 35 minutes. Uh, then I take a, like a short five minute break every 35 minutes. And I go, oh, sorry, yes, 35 minutes. And I just keep on going that way. So 25, 25, 25, five minute break, 25, five minute break, 25, five minute break. That's 90 minutes of product, productivity with five minute breaks in between. Then I take about 15 minute break, usually snacking on forage. And, uh, and then I get back into it. So I have like two 90-minute cycles, right? Within the 90-minute cycle, I have three 25-minute cycles. Does that make sense? Can I just 
I'm just going to add. Oh, you want to add? Yep. Yeah, I was just going to say there's two kinds of people based on the way that we're wired. There's high twitch and there's low twitch. There are some people who can only work for 25 minutes and if they have to sit there for 10 hours a day, they go insane. Who, who are those people? Raise your hands if you're high twitch. So you need to be up and about every 20 minutes. Who are the people who can sit focused for a longer period of time? Okay, so it's about 50-50. So if you're high twitch or low twitch, make sure that you work to that. So don't force yourself to get up and go and get active if you're a low twitch person and you can sit for five and six hours at a time because that's what puts you into flow. Nice. I'm just going to put my two bobs in here because I am very passionate about this. Who lives with other people? Hands up, you live with others. So my big thing is that your morning rituals, your morning routine must be respectful of other people's morning routines. You must have a win-win for everyone in the house. You, can't, you have to be selfish, but you have to have the everyone else have a high value on a morning routine. Just My big thing in the Pierce house is that my routine used to be quite selfish, and I did not know that uh, my wife, Sarah, was feeling so deficient in her own personal time. So she would just say, and there wasn't any angst um, or grudges around it, but she was saying, I really, I'm craving some of my own time in the morning. So I was like, okay, let's find a win-win. For me, the win-win was, all right, I'm going to have to get up earlier so that Sarah can actually get some of her own time in the morning. So in the Pierce house, I swap with Sarah at 7.30. So if I'm exercising at 6.30, for me, my list in the morning, my routine was, just did this with LT on Inside the Champion's Mind. It was visualising, gratitude, journals, meditating, exercising, oil pulling. It was stupid. Anyone here feel like there's like all these different things to do in the morning? You hear everyone's routines like, oh, yeah, I'll mix it all together. It doesn't work. That's just lose-lose overwhelming. So for me, my one, this is the whole concept of the one, is exercise. If I don't exercise in the morning, I'm a grumpy bum, and Sarah will often pull me up and say, Marcus, you need to go exercise. And I'm like, yep, exactly. So for us, it's uh, up at 6.30, swap at 7.30. I make breakfast. I'm like LT, same thing every day. In our house, it's eggs and greens, and Sarah hangs it on me, but it's always the same thing. It's never done any differently. We swap. Sarah comes back at 8.30, has her shower. She's out at court to nine, done. Everyone wins, if you know what I mean. So if you're in a house with others, make sure that your morning ritual, no compromises. I can't stand compromises, not lose-lose. Win-win. You've got to make sure it wins for the whole house. We're out of time on the wellness guys. Are we? Yep. All right. Did you guys enjoy today? I just want to say thank you for everybody who actually stood up and actually asked a question and was brave enough to actually do that. And I want to thank you all the speakers who have actually been able to graciously give their insightful genius to everybody here on the podcast and everybody here too. So give a round of applause to speakers. And as always, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thewellnessguys and thewellnesscouch. Like us there and uh, make a comment below this particular episode. And always share this podcast with your friends and other strangers who need a wellness update. And as always, go to iTunes because this guy loves a five-star rating and nothing but a five-star. And so make sure you give us a comment there below. This has been the Wellness Guys Show. Thank you very much. We'll see you on the next episode. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.